0: hey homies i'm katie i'm sydney and this is something sick hey we're back (laughs) again (laughs) sorry (laughs) oopsies (laughs) Um, what we're saying is we're just, we're liars, actually. I'm really sorry. Life is hard. It, it is. But here we are, and we're not going to make any promises this time. No, but this one's a doozy. Oh, great. Aren't we so excited to be back? So excited, woo! No, to be honest, you'll just probably get episodes when you get them.
1: Yeah, and especially with the holidays. Yeah. it to be happening.
0: We want to do it more, but mm-hmm. life, man... <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. We'll talk to you when we talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> for now. For now. For now. But okay. Okay. We have anything else? I don't think we have anything else to say.
1: Not really. The stupid Casey Anthony <sighs> documentary. It's making me so mad.
0: Maybe I'll post that TikTok of the. Just be like, this is it. Yeah. This is what was in it. But it's not worth it unless you just want to get pissed off. To be honest.
1: She's a liar.
0: Yeah. And she literally said that for
1: the whole first episode. Yeah. Anyways. And those Idaho murders, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about it. Like I haven't, I've been waiting for more information yeah, to come out. It's
0: crazy. Yeah, that's the true crime news. Mm-hmm. And then Shanquilla, mm-hmm. I can't remember her last name. The girl that went to Mexico with all of her friends. Oh yeah, that's- I think they've all been arrested. Okay, good. And extradited to Mexico. So good. Hopefully she gets justice. Yeah, the video was brutal. It's so bad. Made me sick.
1: On a lighter note, Sam and Colby were on Morbid. Oh my gosh, love that. Yeah. We've changed our tune on Sam and Colby.
0: We never disliked them. We just were like, I I, I know we're kind of their target demographic, but I feel like we're also not. We're not. Uh, mostly not. Yeah. But you know what? It was li- a good episode. I liked I them like better
1: them. after them being on Morbid. So,
0: Yeah. We can't anyway. say we don't like them. The Sam and Colby stance was literally. No, they can come on our podcast now. <laughs> They're cool with <laughs> Uh huh. Genuinely, might need to take that out. Nah. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> before, I just thought they were a little cringy, but now I'm like, you know what? They kind of know what they're doing. Oh yeah. Not kind of. They do know what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, they do know what they're doing. They just are a lot more extroverted than I am. And maybe energetic. that's what it
0: is. <laughs> they say things that I would never, just because I'm introverted. Yeah. But anyway, that's our lighter note before we
1: dive into this. Yep. Okay. Today we're covering the Golden State Killer. And this is there's a lot in this. Yeah. So like major trigger warnings for mm-hmm. a lot of things. So you know, if like assault and stuff is not your thing, which it's not anyone's, but like if it's going to be hard for you to listen to, just skip this and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. <laughs> or whenever the second one comes out. Spoiler alert, it's solved now. Thank goodness. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the guy mm-hmm. who did it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk like we already know who did it since it's solved. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so here's a deep dive into his life before his crimes. Mm-hmm. So Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. I, I'm realizing I didn't look up like how to say anyone's names in this whole That's thing. So I'm just going to go for it. Um, he was born to Kathleen Louise Grote and Joseph James D'Angelo, obviously, mm-hmm. on November 8th, 1945 in Bath, New York, His father was a sergeant in the U.S. Army, and he had two sisters and one younger brother. I I mean, they're still alive. (laughs) The kids, at least, are still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, A relative has said that... Okay, this is really brutal right off the bat. A relative has said that Joseph, was when he was young, his family was stationed in Germany, and he witnessed his seven-year-old sister being raped by two airmen in a warehouse. Ugh. Yeah. I don't know how old he was, Mm -hmm. but... That's how old she was. And then one of his sisters later in life claimed that Joseph was abused by their dad throughout childhood. Mm. So he has a lot of trauma yep. already. So fast forward to when he's like middle school age. He attended Mills Junior High School in 1959 and 1960 in Rancho Cordova, California. And then he started to go to Folsom High School in 1961, which sounds really familiar to me. Folsom? yeah. I guess there's a prison yeah uh, that's what i was thinking it's why.
0: probably a prison yeah
1: when he went to that high school in 1961 and he eventually got his ged in 1964 while he was in high school he played on the jv baseball team and then he also started to show his criminal tendencies <laughs> by committing right. burglaries and torturing and killing animals
0: no yeah oh you know yeah like burglary burglary is one thing but he escalates
1: a lot yeah but he starts with burglary spoiler um, in September 1964, D'Angelo joined the U.S. Navy and served for 22 months. He was a damage controlman on the cruiser USS Canberra and the destroyer tender USS Piedmont in the Vietnam War. And don't ask me what those ships are. I have no idea. Oh, I just okay. love their boats. Great. <laughs> boats. Boats. In the Vietnam War. Okay. So that's that's a big deal. Yeah. It's so weird to think that that wasn't that long ago and like he's still alive And like, yeah, super weird. So D'Angelo started going to Sierra College in Rockland, California in August 1968, where he graduated with an associate degree in police science with honors. Then he attended Sacramento State University in 1971 and earned his bachelor's in criminal justice. Great. Uh Uh-huh. And Joseph also took some postgraduate courses and did police training at the College of Sequoias in Visalia, California.
0: I- did he have a record for, like, abusing animals? And I don't think so. Because then That's- after that, he did a
1: 32-week internship with the Roseville Police Department. That is absurd. And then Joseph D'Angelo was a burglary unit police officer in Exeter, California from May 1973 to August 1976.
0: Do you think he ever, like...
1: Responded to his own crime yeah. scenes? Uh, I don't think they overlapped enough for him okay. to have done that. Okay. Yeah,
0: I was just curious.
1: Um, and then he worked for the Auburn Police Department from, ni- from August 1976 until he was arrested for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent in July 1979. That is during his um, crime spree. Great. Yeah. He received a sentence of probation for six months, and then he was fired in October 1979. Not sure why it took several months for him to get fired after getting arrested but i'm not surprised i know but it's still just like yeah come on guys and while he was being fired like in the process of that he started threatening to kill the chief of police and began stalking his house allegedly
0: (laughs) allegedly Allegedly. (laughs) don't want to get sued but like allegedly (laughs) it's great (laughs) yeah
1: not sure why they didn't look into him more but it's okay um i couldn't really find anything about where he was during the 1980s like Mm -hmm. no idea what he was doing for work But he was existing, I guess. And then he worked as a truck mechanic at a Save Mart Supermarkets distribution center in Roseville, California from 1990 until 2017 when he retired.
0: The fact that this man got to have a full life and full career and like, yeah. He was like in a wheelchair in yeah. his
1: sentencing and everything. He's so old. It. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, he's gross. Um, He did get arrested again in 1996 for not paying for gas, but the charges were dropped. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So during all of that, all the work stuff, he did have some time to have relationships. And, Great. And to murder people, you know.
0: Just got so much time of the day. Yeah.
1: So going back a bit to May 1970, while attending Sierra College, Joseph got engaged to nursing student Bonnie Jean Caldwell, but then she broke off their engagement because D'Angelo became abusive and manipulative. And then after she broke up with him, he tried to force her into marriage by threatening her with a gun.
0: Oh my God. Didn't work, though. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you got out, Bonnie. Yeah.
1: Fast forward a bit. Joseph D'Angelo married Sharon Marie Huddle in November 1973 in Placer, California, which I guess is now called Loomis. I don't know anything about the geography and, of California. Yeah, Me neither, And like where things are. So Sharon and Joseph bought a house together in 1980 in Citrus Heights. So in 1982, Sharon became a divorce attorney. Eventually, they welcomed three daughters into the world. Two were born in Sacramento and one in Los Angeles. I didn't write any of their names down. Good. Did yeah. I feel like I needed to? No. Sharon and Joseph separated in 1991, but Sharon didn't file for divorce, and it wasn't official until after he was arrested for these crimes. So they were legally married until 2018, and then she filed for a divorce, and it didn't get finalized till 2019.
0: So they when separated he was being sentenced, twenty some odd years, mm-hmm. thirty—that's basically insane. Yeah, and she's a divorce attorney, and she stayed married to him. Yeah, I wonder if i mean i wonder if she was just so scared and didn't want to have to see him to go to court with him kind of Mm. thing
1: she was not afraid of him i read this at the end but i'll just tell you now her her and her daughters had no idea like her his his daughter was like his oldest daughter was like he was the perfect dad and sharon like believed everything he ever said about like where he had been goodness yeah they had no clue apparently Hmm. so that's about his life (laughs) And now we're going to go into the crimes. And again, this is like a lot. Mm-hmm. So I recommend not listening if this is going to be really triggering for you. So throughout his criminal career, which is a long time, Joseph D'Angelo had a lot of nicknames. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for them? I guess. The Vesalia Ransacker. Okay. The East Area slash East Side slash East Bay Rapist. Mm-hmm. Creek Bed Killer, Diamond Knot Killer, Night Stalker, then the original Night Stalker. I was going to say,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Earnose or no, owns. I don't know, Earons, East Area Rapist, original Night
0: Stalker. <laughs> they would like call him a- <laughs> They just put them together. They're yeah. like, I don't know. <gasps> yeah. And then the
1: Golden State Killer. Okay. So we're starting with the Vesalia Ransacker. This is what everyone like- Also, why do we have to name these guys? I don't know it's not it's i don't yeah i know but anyway continue so this was his like this was between 1974 and 1976 that this stuff happened so many people suspected over the years that the monster that became the east area rapist used visalia as their as his training ground Mm -hmm. um and then over the course of 20 months joseph d'angelo i'm just gonna say the ransacker (laughs) is believed to have been responsible for one murder and 120 burglaries
0: dang yeah over 20 months Uh uh-huh that's a lot i know
1: Um, So the first reported ransacking happened on March 19th, 1974, when $50 in coins was stolen from a piggy bank. Mm
0: -hmm. From a piggy bank.
1: I know. The ransacker would break into houses, go through and or vandalize the owner's possessions, scatter like women's underwear Mm -hmm. around and steal a lot of low range items and ignore money and higher value items. Like even if they were clearly visible.
0: So he was just doing it like for the thrill. Yeah. He didn't care about actually
1: yeah pretty much he would go through and display certain items around the house and this is like a little list of things that he would often take money from piggy banks and coin jars foreign and historic coins single earrings cufflinks that would make
0: me so mad i know i would be so pissed like where is this
1: (laughs) because it's also like who does that like that's not normal no cufflinks rings medallions he also and Over the course of all of those, he stole six weapons and a lot of ammunition. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was common for him to strike multiple times a day. One day, he had 12 separate incidents on November 30th, 1974. What the heck? I know. Like, that's so much.
0: Yeah. How does he have so much time in his day? And he doesn't get caught. Yeah.
1: I don't know. So, some of his MO... Is all of these things. There's like random things. Mm-hmm. So he would attempt to pry open multiple points of entry, usually like windows and doors. Mm-hmm. He would climb fences and go through established routes like parks and ditches and trails to try and stay off the streets. He would leave multiple escape points open, like windows and house, garage, and garden doors. He would put window screens onto beds and in the bedrooms. He would wear gloves because they never had like fingerprints yeah. anywhere. And he would place warning items like dishes and bottles against doors and on door handles so that if he heard someone come in, they would fall in. Oh my God. Alert him. On September 11th, 1975, spooky because it had not, 9 11 had not happened. <laughs> You're it's right. just today for this. Yeah. Which is mind blowing to me. I'm always like, that's so weird. Then I'm like, oh, no Wasn't a thing yet. Um, So 1975, Joseph D'Angelo broke into a house at 532 Whitney Lane, which belonged to 45-year-old Claude Snelling. Claude Snelling was a journalism professor at the College of the Sequoias, where he had gone. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier that year, on February 5th, 1975, Snelling had chased a prowler that was under his daughter's window around 10 p.m., So then fast forward to September 11th, Snelling woke up because he was hearing like weird noises around 2 a.m. And he left his bedroom and ran to find the back door wide open. And he saw a man in a ski mask under their carport trying to kidnap his 16 year old daughter.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: And his daughter was being threatened by the intruder to be quiet by saying like, I'll shoot you or I'll stab you. Mm -hmm. And then D'Angelo somehow I think Snelling got his daughter but then d'angelo shot snelling two times and then he later died Hmm. yeah and d'angelo left the scene and the only thing he left behind was a stolen bike at like another house on the street Mm. so then later 16 year old beth snelling who was almost kidnapped yeah um, went under like hypnosis and they were trying to get more details of the attempted kidnapping and her father's murder I don't know that they got much out of that mm-hmm. but they tried and then the Vesalia police were putting more resources into catching the ransacker and a four thousand reward was created which is equal to four thousand dollar four thousand dollar reward
0: yeah did I say that you said four thousand reward oh four thousand dollars sorry I thought That'd I good. said reward <laughs> I thought I said
1: dollar, and I did not. (laughs) Um, That's equal to almost $20,000 today. Mm
0: -hmm. What Inflation. So weird to me. (laughs) Uh, I I don't like money. I just hit my teeth on my (laughs) microphone.
1: I don't like... Well, I do like money, but... (laughs) Anyway. Moving on. Back to the story. Nighttime stakeouts started happening. Like, police were just, like, everywhere. They would be in areas Mm -hmm. that... he had hit a lot, like going to different places, but the burglaries were still happening, and he was still getting away with it. And on December twelfth, nineteen seventy-five, a masked man, the ransacker, mm-hmm. entered a backyard around eight thirty p.m. at fifteen oh five West Cowiea Avenue. Uh, Detective William McGowan was inside the garage of this house, like doing a stakeout. I guess they had like had other robberies in the area Mm -hmm. before this and he was trying to get the intruder and at that time I think he like surprised the ransacker and he yelled and removed his mask after the detective fired a warning shot and then the suspect began jumping fences and then pulled out a revolver with his left hand and fired at the detective and it shattered his flashlight and then other officers began to arrive but he escaped and the only evidence left behind was a flashlight tennis shoe tracks and and dropped loot that included blue chip chip stamps don't know what that is great i guess it's just a brand of stamps and a sock full of coins great i'm just like why do you just steal coins like i know he just enjoys doing it probably but it just feels like that's so heavy
0: it is and loud
1: yeah not subtle yeah i don't know yeah he wants people to know he's there which is also the thing
0: so that was the Vesalia ransacker
1: and now we're gonna move on to the east area rapist Mm I do not really go in. I'm not going in detail, but I will tell you the basic facts of this. Yeah. So this was the time frame for this era of him was like 1976 to 1979. So he was becoming a cop. He was a cop in this Mm -hmm. time. So Joseph D'Angelo moved in 1976 to the Sacramento area, and that's where his crimes escalated from burglary to rape. Again, true warning. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to hear about it, I'm okay with that and skip forward. So, the crimes were centered around these areas at first Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and Rancho Cordova, California. So, his initial MO was stalking middle class neighborhoods at night, and he would look for women who were alone in one story houses near schools, creeks, trails, or other open spaces so he could easily escape um several people witnessed him but somehow he always got away like one time someone like chased him was trying to stop him and then he shot them but i do think that person survived but they were severely injured so many of the victims had heard or seen d'angelo before their attacks on their property and a lot of them had been victims of his burglaries mm. he did a lot of like research and like surveillance of these places before he ever um snuck in and did yeah. what he did. Um, and then he would sometimes like get, when he would break in, he would also like unlock their windows and put ligature stuff t- to bind them up mm. ahead of time. And he would unload their guns so that like, they couldn't use them. And then he would call future victims for months in advance to learn about their routines. Ugh. Yeah. Eventually D'Angelo began targeting couples instead of women that were alone because the media kept reporting that he was only going after women. Like so basically
0: he, saying he was weak.
1: Yeah, and so, but also they would be more alert mm-hmm. than couples, and so so nope. he
0: switched his mo. Mm-hmm. So this is
1: his usual method for his attacks. Not going really into detail, but it's very like it's very clearly a signature for how he does these things. Yeah. So he would break in through a window or a sliding glass door and then wake the couple up with a flashlight and a gun. And then he would often use shoelaces or other ligatures that he would either find there or bring with him to tie them up and then blindfold and gag them with towels that he ripped into strips of fabric. And he would often force the female victim to tie up the male victim first. The hands would their hands would be so tightly bound that they would be numb for hours after being untied.
0: Oh my goodness
1: d'angelo would then separate the couples and he would stack dishes on the men's backs like while they're laying there and he would threaten that he would kill everyone in the house if they if he heard the dishes rattle which i'm just like that's Mm. insane and then he would move the woman into the living room and he would rape them repeatedly um during a 1978 attack which was his 37th in the area he reportedly was heard saying i hate you bonnie which is the name of his ex fiance?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, D'Angelo would often spend hours in the homes going through their closets and drawers, drinking and eating the things in their kitchens. Like making, while they
0: were tied up. Uh-huh.
1: Making additional threats and then raping the woman again. And like there was a lot of times where the victims would think he had left the house because they couldn't hear him. And then he would be back. Oh, gosh. And like when he would leave, he would be super quiet so they didn't know. Yeah. He would also steal a lot of their personal items. And this is when he like did he did start to steal like, cash and mm-hmm. more firearms. And then he would creep away and escape on foot until he could get to a bike or a car to get home. And when he was biking, he would use, again, parks and schoolyards and creeks to avoid the streets. So then DeAngelo attacked in Sacramento County from June 1976 until May 1977. And then he took a three-month break And then he attacked a couple in San Joaquin County in September 1977. Don't know why I took a break. Mm -hmm. And then he went back to Sacramento for 10 more attacks. And he attacked five times in the summer of 1978 in Stanislaus and Yolo counties. There's a Yolo County. I really liked that. (laughs) He disappeared for another three months and then attacked in Contra, Contra Costa County in October. And that and he like stayed there until July 1979. So overall, there are around 50 separate attacks and rapes in those four four years. So there were 10 in 1976, 19 in 1977, 15 in 1978 and six in 1979 i like didn't find anyone's names Mm -hmm. which again that's i'm like yeah i don't know i don't think i would want my name out there that's okay but i think a lot of them did come forward at his trial and stuff and did victim impact statements which good yeah there was also during this time one couple that was murdered so brian and katie maggiore I had to look that one. I did look that one up. It's like Italian. Um, they were walking their dog in the Rancho Cordova area on the night of February 2nd, 1978. And this was an area where there had been five attacks that had already occurred. Mm-hmm um the couple ran after a confrontation on the street but they were chased and shot to death which is not his usual mo mm-hmm. but the investigators thought that they had been murdered by the same person because of the location and there was a shoelace found nearby
0: okay yeah so it might have
1: just been he was they like linked dna later i think okay yeah actually no not dna he uh United. pled guilty to it in trial um and the fbi announced they were confident like later on that it was the same person yeah. so that one's pretty much confirmed so i don't know what happened maybe they caught him or something yeah i was gonna like, say
0: like they probably like interrupted him somehow and mm-hmm. they were outside in like a public space so he just like yeah. shot them and ran yeah so now the original night
1: stalker 1970 this was a 1979 to 1986 So D'Angelo moved then to Southern California. I think all these other places were Northern California. Mm -hmm. And this is, so he moved to Southern California and began killing his victims uh, instead of just attacking them. Uh, So this is still, so the last East area rapist attack was July 5th, 1979. And so then he started attacking in Santa Barbara County in October of that same year. All I could think was psych. (laughs) I knew you were going to say
0: something about psych with Santa Barbara. (laughs) The murder capital of the world. That's what they say. I know. If you guys
1: haven't watched Psych, you really need to watch it. It's the best. I'm just trying to sprinkle in some light stuff, you know? Oh, I know. So he was not linked to these crimes for decades. Like, they weren't sure it was the same person. So he was later given the name Original Night Stalker because he had that. He had Night Stalker. And then Richard Ramirez happened. And then they called him the Original Night Stalker.
0: Yeah. I don't ever really want to cover Richard Ramirez. But if you're going to do it, it's okay. (laughs) Maybe someday. uh, Not planning out on it anytime soon okay good so the way he got caught is pretty yeah badass
1: it's fascinating how they caught him on uh, they got the golden state killer too mm-hmm. so the first of the original night stalker attacks was on october 1st 1979 in Galeta, 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 Galeta not sure, california in santa barbara county the intruder broke in and bound the couple they heard him say i'll kill him to himself i don't know what that means exactly But then the couple tried to escape when he left the room, and the woman screamed. The intruder fled on bicycle because he realized their alarm had been triggered. Mm. They are the only victims from this set of killings that survived. Mm -hmm. Um, One of their neighbors was an FBI agent who responded to the noise and followed the intruder who left the bike and knife and ran on foot through backyards and... Every time I wrote backyards, I just thought of love it or list it and how David says backyards. Doesn't he say backyards
0: or something? I don't know. But every
1: time he says it, I feel weird about it. But every time I wrote it in this, I just thought okay. about that. It's really niche.
0: <laughs> but I would say that's niche. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, okay. Again, back to this. So the attack was linked to the next one that I'm about to talk about through shoe prints and twine used. So they... Mm. Realized it was the same person. So, this next one was on December 30th of the same year, so 1979. 35 year old Deborah Alexandra Manning and 44 year old Robert Offerman were found shot to death in Robert's condo in Galata. Robert's ties were undone, which investigators said indicated that he lunged at the perpetrator. Um, neighbors also heard the gunshots and they found like large dog prints at the scene, which was weird. And they're like, why would he bring a dog? Like, they didn't have a dog. hmm. So it was weird. Interesting. Um, The murderer had also broken into the residence attached to the condo, like the other one on the other side of them, that was vacant and stole a bike, which was later found on the street. He really liked to bike, Mm -hmm. which I feel like he should have gotten caught on. He must have been so
0: fast. Yeah. I was going to say, it makes more sense than like running on foot. Yeah. True. And stealing a car is Harder. harder. Yeah.
1: On March 13th, 1980, 80. This is the next one. 43-year-old Lyman Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith and 33-year-old Charlene Smith were found dead in their Ver- Ventura home. Charlene had been raped and the couple had been bludgeoned to death with a log from a wood pile outside of their house. Their ankles and wrists were bound with a drapery cord, and a diamond knot was used on Charlene's wrists, which had been the same knot that the East Area Rapist had used, so the killer was briefly called the Diamond Knot Killer. I don't think it really stuck, yeah. but it's apparently, like, kind of rare or unusual. So, the next one was 24-year-old Keith Eli Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Briscoe Harrington, and they were found bludgeoned to death on August 19th, 1980 in their home in Dana Point's, Niguel Shore's gated community. So, he got into a gated community somehow. Um, Patrice had also been raped, and there was evidence that both of their wrists wrists and ankles were bound But this time, no murder weapon and no ligatures were left behind at the scene. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe he realized that they, like, connected him through That's what I was going
0: to say. If they connected, like, maybe he knew they were connecting the knots. And he -hmm. was like, okay, fine. I'll take, like, I'll cut them off. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, The couple had only been married three months at the time. Um, Keith's brother Bruce later actually spent almost two million dollars supporting the California Proposition 69 which was for authorizing DNA collection from all California felons and certain other criminals so okay. he was like I'm gonna do something about this yeah like we can't connect them right Good. now so yeah yeah on February 6th 1981 28 year old Manuela Whithun i don't know maybe Whithoon? not sure uh she was raped and murdered in her home in irvine california again like the harringtons it was evident that she had been tied before but no weapons or ligatures were found and she had been home alone because her husband was away in a hospital no. yeah her tv was found in her backyard which investigators think was maybe like a distraction to make it just seem like it was a burglary gone mm. wrong but they're like pretty confident it was the same person 35 year old sherry domingo and 27 year old gregory sanchez were attacked on july 27th 1981 in sherry's relative's home that she was temporarily staying at in galeta it's like wasn't even her house yeah it was her relative's house that they were trying to sell um. gregory had not been tied but he was shot and wounded in his cheek before he was bludgeoned with a gardening tool um some investigators think that he might have realized uh that this could be connected to other crimes in the area so he might have tried to fight back and they think Mm. that's why he wasn't tied up his head was also covered with clothes from the closet on the ground Mm. so no neighbors had responded to the gunshot like no one said they heard anything or did anything um sherry was found with bruises on her wrists and ankles and she had been raped and bludgeoned and a piece of shipping twine was found near her bed and unknown fibers were scattered on her body it's kind of weird yeah The final attack was on May 4th, 1986, which was five years later. So he like took a very long break. Yeah. She was an 18 year old, Janelle Lisa Cruz, and she was found raped and bludgeoned to death in her house in Irvine. Her family was on vacation in Mexico Mm. and a pipe wrench was thought to be the murder weapon because it was reported missing by her stepdad. Mm. Uh, Investigators all over weren't really connecting all of these attacks together until many years later when they were linked almost entirely by DNA testing. Good. Yeah. So now we're talking a little bit about like communications that he reportedly had. He Mm -hmm. called so many yeah of these people and their families so there was like several different types of communication that he had one that was just kind of weird was in 1977 in december someone claiming to be the east area rapist sent a poem to the sacramento Bee, the mayor's office and the tv station kvie the poem was called excitement's crave and on december 11th a masked man had been chased but escaped law enforcement after alerting them by phone that he would strike wyatt avenue that night and i think these were like really. Mm -hmm. i have the poem
0: (laughs) great so
1: i'm gonna read it it's just really weird yeah so excitements crave all those mortals surviving birth upon facing maturity take inventory of their worth to prevailing society choosing values becomes a task One's self must seek satisfaction the selected route will unmask character when plans take action he likes rhymes you know apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Accepting some work to perform at fixed pay but promise for more is a recognized social norm, as is decorum seeking lore. I just the the rhyming is getting me now, really. <laughs> Achieving while others lifting should be cause for deserving fame. Leisure tempts, tempts, excitement seeking. What's right and expected seems tame. Quote, Jesse James has been seen by all. And quote, Son of Sam has an author. Others now feel temptation's call. Sacramento should make an offer to make a movie of my life that will pay for my planned exile just now i'd like to add the wife of a mafia lord to my file your east area rapist and deserving pest see you in the press or on tv Ugh. i don't know if i think i was it's gonna him. say did he
0: admit to writing it
1: i don't know okay i have no i could not find that so now This is something weird, too. So during the investigation of the 42nd attack on December 9th, 1978, investigators found Three pieces of notebook paper near where a suspicious vehicle had been seen. They believed that they had been dropped accidentally because they were like, Mm -hmm. no one would have just left this here. So the first page was a homework essay about General George Armstrong Custer. Okay. Super weird. But the rest of this is worse. So the second page was a journal entry about a teacher making students write lines, which the writer was humiliated by. Okay, And I have the journal entry. Quote, mad is the word, the word that reminds me of sixth grade. I hated that year. I wish I had known what was going on, what was going to be going on during my sixth grade year, the last and worst year of elementary school. Mad is the word that remains in my head about my dreadful year as a sixth grader. Also, this guy is just still mad about sixth grade, which is
0: strange. Move on.
1: Um, My madness was one that was caused by disappointments that hurt me very much disappointments from my teacher, such as field trips that were planned, then canceled. My sixth grade teacher gave me a lot of disappointments, which made me very mad and made me build a state of hatred in my heart. No one ever let me down that hard before, and I never hated anyone as much as I did him. Disappointment wasn't the only reason that made me mad in my sixth grade class. Another was getting in trouble at school, especially talking. That's what really bugged me, was writing sentences, those awful sentences that my teacher made me write. Hours and hours I'd sit and write. Fifty one hundred one hundred fifty sentence day and night. I write those dreadful paragraphs which, embarrassed me and more important it was me it made me ashamed of myself which in turn deep down inside made me realize that writing sentences wasn't fair it wasn't fair to make me suffer like that it just wasn't fair <laughs> to make me sit and write until my bones ached until my hand felt every horrid pain it ever had and as i wrote i got madder and madder until i cried i cried because i was ashamed i cried because i was disgusted i cried because i was mad and i cried for myself all of that was kind of relatable,
0: but <laughs> but like it's not over yet. Yeah.
1: Okay, <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, I cried for myself, kid who kept on having to write those Dane sentences. Dane, maybe he meant dang or damn, I don't or know, or like mundane. Yeah, I don't know. My angriness from sixth grade will scar my memory for life, and I will be ashamed for my sixth grade year forever.
0: <laughs> Bro, you are so disappointed that your field trip got canceled. <laughs>
1: and then you got in trouble for talking so you had to write sentences like i will not talk i will not talk
0: <laughs> what the heck it's so mad unhinged
1: it's like i cried i was so ashamed of myself and then i got mad and i cried well more. it's like
0: i can understand your like like and, and you're like oh that was so embarrassing but i can't understand like being a grown man yeah and being like i'm still so mad at my sixth grade teacher i hate him <laughs> Like, what the heck? Yeah. Okay. And the third and final
1: sheet that was found with these things, which don't make any sense, was a hand-drawn map of a suburban neighborhood. And on the other side of the paper, it had one word written across it. Punishment. Good. Yeah. So the investigators couldn't figure out what area the map was supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but they started to tell that this person knew a lot about landscape design and architectural layout and one detective larry Poole, said that he thought it was a map of a fantasy location of the rapist desired striking ground hmm. which i'm like that's a really big jump but but yeah okay like so, maybe it's
0: just a street you don't know about
1: yeah so it's just a very weird assortment of papers to be yeah. together like makes no sense people think they're tied to this guy okay so now we're gonna talk about the phone calls there's so many of them i didn't even write all of them down that's okay they were usually like pretty short too so on october 4th 1976 one of the victims was home alone with her son and she had gotten a lot of silent calls for several weeks like people calling and hanging up so this time she decided to like shout into the phone like who is this stop calling like this the police know about it and they know who you are and the voice on the other end whispered and he whispers a lot in these calls and it makes me so uncomfortable and he just Said, I'm going to kill your husband. She immediately hung up and then tried to call her husband and he didn't answer. So she called the police and they told her that they thought it was just a prank and that she's going to be okay. And then she was attacked by the East Area Rapist the next day.
0: Yeah. Your job as the police and you know stuff is happening i can't that makes me so infuriated yeah
1: on march 18th 1977 another victim answered the phone and these are just the phone calls that were reported Mm -hmm. i don't know if other victims had phone calls besides these ones but probably um another victim answered the phone and a man said he was a roofer 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 (laughs) i was thinking roofer like schmidt from new girl roofer who wanted to talk to her father And then she shared, and I'm not shaming her. I just, she told him that her parents were out of town for the weekend. No, girl. I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) no, No, girly. Don't just share that. Like I don't even like texting that to someone like, I'm going to be home alone this weekend. I'm like, someone could get that information. But that happened. She said, my parents are out of town for the weekend. And then she was attacked that night. And then later she asked her dad, like, were you expecting a call from any, like, people working on the roof? And he said no. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm so rough. So the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office received three calls on that same day that she received that call. Oh, mm-hmm. and it was a guy claiming to be the East Area Rapist. None of the calls were recorded, but like they were like written down, like what he said. Mm-hmm. So the first two were identical at 415 and 430 p.m. And he said, I'm the East Area Rapist and then laughed and then hung up both times and then a third call came in at 5 p.m and the caller said i'm the east area rapist and i have my next victim already stalked and you guys can't catch me and then laughed and hung up and then she was attacked mm-hmm. that night so pretty sure it's the same yeah in may of 1977 the same year two women who were living near another victim who uh they received a call that was a person whispering you are next three times Ew. and they Then I guess like moved in a like still in the same general area as the victim. But then the night of her attack, they had had a prowler in their yard and he had turned off their electricity
0: oh gosh yeah
1: but they were not attacked to my knowledge
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they were seen phone calls and like he would like call a lot of people in a lot of areas yeah just to like figure out what's just like to, pick yeah who, like, who to attack. attack yeah yeah he would place a lot of mm-hmm. obscene phone calls so on december 2nd 1977 the sacramento police department received a call saying you're never gonna catch me east area rapist you dumb effers i'm gonna f again tonight be careful. He just keeps getting more vulgar and vulgar, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm not going to say a lot of it. The call was recorded and released later, but the next victim was attacked that night of the call. Mm. Um, and later that night, around 8 p.m., another call was received at a police station and it said something like i'll commit another rape tonight and then that was like a few hours before the attack had happened he like calls a lot before he does these things on december 9th 1977 the victim a female victim of a couple received a phone call that said merry christmas it's me again and that was it Ooh, i'm like i don't know if i can do christmas after that i that would freak me out
0: that was after they'd been attacked
1: No, before, before Um, a couple calls came in on December 10th, 1977, two minutes apart to the sheriff's department. And they said the same thing. I'm going to hit tonight. Watt Avenue for both of the calls, the exact same Mm -hmm. thing. And then many other victims started receiving whispered threat phone calls in December of that year. And I thought it just makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. really does and i so i started writing out phone calls from 1978 and then i decided i don't want to they were really gross but if someone wants to read them i found them on (laughs) goldenstatekiller.com i had them and i was like i wrote one down and i was like "Uh," like one of them he was like i'm gonna get you I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you, bitch, bitch. Like, he was just Mm. saying, like, so many things. But then the other ones, I was like, that is so gross. And i just not going there. So the phone calls continued even after attacks stopped up until, like, the early 2000s. So, like, he stopped killing in 1986. And he was still calling people. On April 6, 2001, one of the victims, years later, had received a phone call from a man that was whispering, remember when we played? Oh, Yeah. And this call happened on the day that the... East Area Rapist crimes were linked by DNA to the murders in Southern California, so they started connecting all of them mm-hmm. in 2001. So here we go: the investigation, arrest, and trial. Great. We're getting there. So they started connecting a lot by similar MOs. And then the DNA happened, like the DNA evidence yeah. connecting all of it, connected the Smith, Harrington, Whithun, and Cruz murders to the rapist mur- rapist attacks. And then a decade later, DNA evidence also linked the Domingo Sanchez murders to the same. And- I think around this time is when he started being identified as a Golden State Killer, yeah. and I didn't watch this whole thing. I was watching part of it, but there was a uh, true crime like blogger Michelle McNamara. Mara. She was married to Patton Oswalt, mm-hmm. and she was like fast, like trying to solve this case. And and now I need to finish watching the documentary, but I think she kind of coined the term Golden State Killer. So on June 15th, 2016, the FBI started to release more information I wasn't sure I was going to say that word information such as new composite sketches and crime details and a fifty thousand dollar dollar reward was announced So a great are like they're like we're solving this yeah so this is when genetic genealogy mm-hmm. research um was starting to help identify relatives related to D'Angelo yeah and like this was going back as far as the 1800s like the amount of people they had so At first, they were pretty vague about what they were doing. They weren't like giving details into anything. Yeah. But they were saying they had like thousands of people that were like related and they started creating like family trees and they had like 25 different family trees. Mm -hmm. And the one that eventually linked Joseph D'Angelo had like over a thousand people in it.
0: That's insane.
1: And they were like using clues like age, sex, place of residence to like begin ruling people out Mm -hmm. in all the trees. And they just continued doing this. Um, in December 2017, officials led by Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer. Why are you, are you laughing?
0: Oh, the girls on My Favorite Murder love Paul Holes. <laughs> she
1: One of them was in the, oh, docu- really? like, yeah. part of the documentary I was watching. Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer uploaded the D- the killer's DNA profile from a Ventura County rape kit to, okay, I saw one thing said GED match. Okay. But then I saw another one that said like family tree something. So there's like I don't know exactly which genetic and also i think it's caused a lot of like things to be brought up with like legal yeah like things with like are people submitting their dna and now like are they admissible in yeah. investigations and stuff but anyway the website that they use identified 10 to 20 people who had the same great 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 grandparents as the golden state killer um a team of five investigators worked with genealogist barbara ray Venter, and they constructed this specific family tree they established two suspects and one was ruled out by a relative's dna test and d'angelo was was the only remaining suspect insane i that know they can do that like any years
0: later it's so freaking at
1: weird. least they did something right and kept all that dna yeah. and like didn't lose it and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and they didn't give up on trying to figure this yeah. out which is really encouraging. On April 18th, 2018, a DNA sample was collected from D'Angelo's car door handle and then from a tissue in his curbside trash can, and they were both a match to samples from the Golden State Killer Crimes. There were a couple other people that were suspects, but they were eliminated. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say them, but they were eliminated. Brett Glasby from Galeta. He was murdered in Mexico in 1982 before the murder of Janelle Cruz, mm-hmm. so that eliminated him as a suspect. Yeah. Paul his nickname is cornfed schneider okay he was he sucks he was a high-ranking member of the aryan brotherhood oh yeah screw him i don't like him. Mm-hmm. he lived in orange county where three of the murder scenes were but dna tests cleared him in the 1990s and the last one i have is joe Alsip. He was a friend and business partner of Lyman Smith, one of the murder victims. And his pastor said that he confessed in a family counseling session and he was arraigned for the Smith murders in 1982. But the charges were dropped when a DNA test cleared him, like later in 1997.
0: So, How did this man going to not just like confession going to his pastor with a fan like a family, family council like with his family uh-huh. and his pastor turns him in well I'm and then glad. he confesses to a crime that he didn't commit,
1: commit. yeah what i know people are dumb Sounds wild so there were a few crimes that d'angelo was suspected of but he was cleared of these by dna testing they were a rape and murder of a woman in 1974 in Vassalia. like they happened in times and places where he yeah. was but he was cleared a rape and murder in exeter in 1970 and a murder of a woman and her son in Simi Valley in 1978. Mm -hmm. You did not do those according to DNA. Um, Police also in australia i thought he maybe was a serial child rapist and a murderer known as mr cruel in i was Melbourne. gonna ask if it was mr. if they thought he was mr cruel. yeah because he had been docked in australia during his navy service oh. but he was ruled out based on dna
0: mr cruel that one's messed up are you gonna do it i don't know <laughs> okay. have you seen the pictures of his mask maybe it's like know. it's got like zippers around the eyes you it's know, I don't terrifying like <laughs> well they thought it was him okay Was not. uh, (laughs) What if
1: they had gotten two cereal? people with one.
0: Serial people. Serial killer
1: rapist. Yeah. Like, what if they had caught him, you know? Yeah. It was just one guy. It was not.
0: It's very unfortunate.
1: So, on April 24th, 2018, a few days later, Joseph James D'Angelo was arrested by Sacramento County Sheriff's deputies and charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. I think that just includes, like, the people that were murdered while he was raping and, mm-hmm. like, those kind of things. On May 10th, he was also charged with four additional counts of first-degree murder and d'angelo made a confession after his arrest that basically was saying that he had an inner personality named jerry who forced him to commit the crimes dude i know a sacramento county prosecutor named dean ho uh said that d'angelo said this to him like said this next quote to himself in april 2018 when he was alone in an interrogation room quote i didn't have the strength to push him out he made me he went with me it was like in my head I mean, he is a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out
0: and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. Saying you didn't want to do it implies that you know it was wrong, which implies that you were capable of. Yep. Yep. You were saying legally. Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: So D'Angelo couldn't be charged with the burglaries or race because of the statute of limitations running out. Which is so, so dumb. dumb. Yeah. But he was in total charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. He was arraigned on august 23rd 2018 in sacramento and then prosecutors from six involved counties said in november 2018 that they were estimating that it would cost 20 million dollars of taxpayer money in 10 years for this case to be tried whoa yeah thankfully that did not have to happen (laughs) on april 10th 2019 so a year after he was arrested at a court proceeding the prosecutors announced that they would seek the death penalty and the judge said cameras could be allowed in the courtroom during the trial on march 4th 2020 which is so wild that this is happening like during covid yeah um joseph not yeah i guess joseph that's his name d'angelo offered to plead guilty if the death penalty was taken off the table which was not accepted at the time they said no wow but then on june 29th 2020 joseph d'angelo did plead guilty to 13 counts of first degree murder and special circumstances that included murder during burglaries and rapes as well as 13 counts of kidnapping as a part of a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty so they allowed it Mm -hmm. which i'm glad yeah. He is wasting away in prison for the rest of his. Yeah, he's old. Yeah. um On August twenty first, twenty twenty, D'Angelo received his sentencing. He was given twenty six m- consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Good. So justice. Good. And that finally. Finally. But the fact that he got to work until retirement and then kind of yeah, enjoy retirement. Like, no. Is insane.
0: Yeah. Like I'm glad that the sentencing, like the trial, actually went. Yeah. The way it should have. Should. Yeah. But it- should have happened owned up to it but like he got away with it for so long
1: like if you actually felt bad about it you had to turn yourself in immediately Mm -hmm. but yeah if you knew it
0: was wrong and you were like felt so bad about it yeah
1: yeah. so d'angelo offered a brief apology after listening to days of pre-sentencing victim impact statements Mm -hmm. his quote-unquote apology was just this i've listened to all your statements each one of them and i'm truly sorry to everyone i've
0: hurt that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that there's anything he could ever say to like make it better. Make it better. But like mm-hmm. that's the most bullshit. I know. That was Apology
1: it. <sighs> I've ever heard. It would have taken everything i me mean not to smack him if I was in there. I'd
0: be like, like why the heck are you he like i apologize more to my dog when I step on her paw. I know. Then he just apologized to people Who? for assaulting and murdering yeah yeah. Yep. So this is the end. But in November 2020,
1: Joseph D'Angelo was transferred to North state prison and then uh, in February 2021 he was moved to protective custody in California state prison where he is still today and the very last thing was I mentioned earlier like his ex-wife and children said they never suspected at all Mm -hmm. he was the perfect father to them and they just never had any reason to doubt him about where he was which i mean i have never been in their situation yeah. so i do not know but it's wild that they had like no clue if that's yeah. true that is a golden state killer i'm sure there's a lot more Gracious. that i did not get but
0: ugh. it's okay he is caught and he doesn't deserve any more. Yeah. like thank god thank goodness he's in prison i know when that started coming out i was like what was, the heck like, like during covid Like yeah. <laughs> i mean
1: it, it was like already it was but he's yeah. like
0: he didn't get
1: he didn't plead guilty and get sentenced until mm-hmm. in the middle of covid yeah did it no it didn't happen on zoom they were like all wearing masks in there Mm. and like they were in person and you do an icebreaker or not icebreaker what is it called palette palette cleanser cleansing (laughs) (laughs) remember my dad listens to this i know
0: um Okay. I was trying to think of a way to have you pick between them, but there's uh. only two. So, like, <laughs> I'll just read this one. Okay. Um, if you have to clarify that something you said was not cannibalistic, you shouldn't have said it. <laughs> who said that? You. Oh.
1: <laughs> I know who it's a about i think who's it about i think it was from a conversation i had with people from work about hands and fans
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway yeah
1: you guys should follow us on all the things on instagram at something sick podcast on twitter at a sick podcast on tiktok at something sick podcast or send us an email at something sick podcast at
0: gmail.com and we'll talk to you next time homies peace out